From Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 3, verse 2, we consider today the meaning of circumcision in the Jewish faith, and we initiate a consideration of what we might learn from this Old Testament ordinance for ourselves today. Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn about our work to make Christ known among the nations, Go to traincpe.org, and to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In our day, we use all kinds of gestures to indicate how we're going to treat others. For example, we shake hands when we greet someone. It means, I'm not coming to harm you, but I'm coming seeking harmony with you. Symbolic gestures can hold deep and profound meaning, but only if there is a reality behind the gesture— only if we are forecasting in the gesture a pledge of loyalty that we will keep. Last week, we followed Paul as he exposed the false confidence of the Jews. We saw that the Jew had been the recipient of great privileges and an exalted position that God had given to them and brought to them. The privilege was enumerated in a number of different ways. They had been given the name Jew, which actually was a name that was a derivative of the name Judah, and the name actually means one to be praised. And so they were a people to be praised. From them would rise up the Messiah, and the Messiah would gather them in a reign over all the nations, and praise would be brought to him and to his people. And so they were the people to be praised. They'd also been given the law, That law laid out for them not only God's moral commands, but it also laid out God's provision when they broke those commands. The means under the law by which they could find forgiveness and atonement in the place that God appointed through the sacrifices that God appointed and the mediation of the priests that God had appointed. And so there was a way through the law to follow and seek a way to be holy, but also a way to be forgiven so that they might approach a holy God to worship him and know him and be his people. And so this was in the law as well. So they were to be a people who rested in the law. That was to be their position. Also, they had in this situation been brought into a covenant relationship with God, a relationship where he had declared himself to be their God and that they were his people. And as such, they had a right or a privilege to boast in the Lord or boast in God. And you'll see that just in the verses prior to the passage that we're going to be considering this morning, that this was to be the boast or the declaration of the Jew. They were to, in a sense, in the old NIV, it said they boasted in their relationship with God, but it was. God had given them a covenant relationship. And then beyond that, They had been taught and instructed in the law and the word of God, and so they knew those things that were good and true and right. It had been granted to them to sit and learn from the scriptures that had been translated to them, and this too was a great thing. So they knew the things that were excellent and the things that were good. And then added to these privileges was this purpose or this position God had given them. God had raised them up to be ambassadors for himself before all the nations. To them fell the duty to educate the world in the ways of the one true God. But, as we learned last week in our passage, the Jews had largely taken these privileges and this position, and instead of receiving as an unmerited grace, instead of receiving it as a mercy from God, instead of being humbled and through it casting themselves in an utter reliance upon God and utter gratitude upon God, by reason of those things, by reason of those privileges, and by reason of that exalted position, They had turned that grace and mercy of God to them 
as a point of self-assertion and self-ascendancy and self-importance over others. And this led them to believe that they had a kind of immunity from the judgment of God that allowed them to act in ways that actually dishonored the God that they were privileged to know. That actually, Paul says, brought blasphemy against God by themselves, the Jew. So Paul is addressing the Jew at this point in time in his letter. And he's revealing to them these abuses. And he's speaking to them in this pointed manner so that they would recognize that they are facing under God the same judgment that the Gentile is facing. That they can't differentiate themselves from the Gentile and believe that somehow because of who they were and because of the privileges God had given them and the position that God had given them among the nations that they were immune from God's judgment. No, just the other, the case. They were guilty before God, guilty as the Gentile was, more guilty because they'd been given all these privileges and granted this position and they were answerable to God. Therefore, they were in need of the gospel that God had provided through Jesus Christ and that's where Paul is going in his argument. You'll see this from the middle of Romans chapter 1 until the middle of Romans chapter 3. Basically, Paul is building an argument for why all people need the gospel that comes through Jesus Christ alone. But the Jew, when he has been brought to this point in the argument, responds by doubling down on his heritage at this point in time. He basically says to Paul, I'm a member of the circumcision. To be thought that somehow I'm under the same sentence as the Gentile is preposterous. And so Paul picks up his argument by saying this. We look at now Romans 2, verses 25 through 3-2. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you? even with your written code and circumcision, who are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly, first, because to them were committed the oracles of God. Well, we have a number of points this morning. The first thing I want you to see here again is the basic failure of the Jews. And it's this, and this is what Paul is saying. The failure of the Jew was to believe that a symbolic rite held any meaning without a spiritual reality of faith lying behind it. The idea that some symbolic ritual or sacrament held any kind of meaning if there wasn't a reality of faith lying behind it. So in Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29, Paul is basically reasserting the very argument that he's already made up to this point in time, that they could not claim on their privileges and their positions that they had a right standing with God. For the Jew, the rite of circumcision, which was conducted on the male child on their eighth day after their birth, had become the primary expression of the identity that they were the people of God. This identity found in this religious rite had become, in a sense, the point of their supreme national identity. Circumcision, which was meant to express 
a spiritual commitment of the people of God in response to his covenant to be their God and for them to be their people. A circumcision that God had given as a right to Abraham after he by faith had received the promise that God would make of him a great nation and through him bless all the nations of the earth. And then in response to the faith that he had in God, God called them to demonstrate his commitment to him alone, to worship him alone and be separated out to him alone by circumcising himself and all those in his household. You'll read about that in Genesis chapter 17. This was the point at which the Jews had rallied around to say, this is supremely an expression of who we are as the people of God. And you know, There's some discussion as to what the meaning of circumcision was, but I think it could be best understood in this way. As a people covenanted in relationship with the holy God, the Jews were called upon to put aside living in the flesh and living for themselves and living in carnality, and they were to live holy dedicated to God alone in complete obedience to him. And circumcision was a sense, their act of dedication or their symbolic expression that they were completely dedicated to God alone. It was a physical representation of the people's belief and faith and then dedication to God as their God. They weren't gonna live in their own flesh. They weren't gonna live by the carnal rights of all the people around them, but they were to follow God's instruction and live for him and him alone. Their hearts were completely given to God alone. And yet this right had become a point of great national pride. When the Jew would speak down to the Gentile, they wouldn't simply refer to the person as a Gentile. They referred to him as an uncircumcised Gentile. That's really, that's really how bad he was. You remember the story of David as a young boy. The camp of the Israelites are meeting against the camp of the Philistines. And Goliath is out there mocking them and saying, come out any one of you and fight with me and... David's response is this, who is this Philistine who defies the living armies of the living God? No, that's not what he said. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's the ultimate insight, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of living God. But this rite of circumcision was merely a symbolic expression of the spiritual commitment the people were to give in living before God alone. On more than one occasion, God had, all the way back in the Old Testament, reminded the people that they were not to count on physical circumcision as equal to the spiritual act of complete and utter surrender of themselves to God. It wasn't equal to the act of, in their hearts, turning away from their own fleshly impulses and living in complete surrender to God. And so Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, confronts the complaining, the groaning and disobedient children of Israel and he says to them circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer it's your life that needs to change it's your heart that needs to change and then in Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 4 the prophet comes before the spiritually rebellious people of Judah and this is what he says circumcise yourselves to the Lord now these are the people of Judah these are the circumcised Jews Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise, I said. Circumcise yourself to the Lord, he says. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil that you have done. Again, in Jeremiah 9, 25, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, and God says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, 
and all who live in the wilderness and distant places, for all these nations are really uncircumcised. And even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in the heart. You see, the failure of the Jew, again, was to believe that this symbolic rite held any meaning without an underlying spiritual reality behind it. If there was no obedience, no turning to God with all their hearts, no turning away from a life lived in their own flesh, then the physical circumcision would not only not cover them, it would expose them instead. It would ironically parody the very thing that they were proclaiming and expressing of themselves. They were breaking the vow their circumcision was meant to give witness to. Another way you might think of this is, you could think of the marriage ring that you wear on your finger if you're married. You'll remember that when you were married, the pastor may have held up the ring and said, this ring of pure gold in this circle was to be an emblem of the pure and unending faith that you were now mutually pledging to one another. It was a symbol of the fidelity you're pledging to one another. And you might ask a man who you know to have been unfaithful to his wife if he is faithful to his wife. You might even be able to prove to him and show him the evidence that you found and discovered that he's been faithful to his wife. And if he lifts up and says, ah, look at this ring. Look at the ring I'm wearing. I'm a faithful husband. I'm still wearing it. Would that be a testament to his faithfulness? It would be a joke. It would be an ironic parody of the reality of his life. That's what Paul is saying is taking place with the Jew. You're boasting in your uncircumcision. It's just an outward right. It's supposed to be expressive of an inward truth that's not there. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.